down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tricia. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Let's pray together. Father, as we hear the rain coming down and falling outside, I'm reminded of Isaiah 55. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so is my word that comes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Lord, we would ask now that your word would have that kind of effect upon our hearts, that it would water our hearts and that it would cause us to bud and to flourish in every area of life as we come to see the beauty of your gospel and the glory of your kingdom. Would we be changed? Come and be our teacher. Christ's name we pray, amen. So kids, I have a question for you this morning to get us started. What kinds of things, and you know in, in school, in school or different places you're hanging out and stuff, there's always like popular people and then there's always people who are not so popular, right? So here's the question. What kinds of things make people popular in school? What kind of qualities or things make people popular? Have good hairstyles, okay? All right? That's good. Bo? Huh? Being spiky, okay? Yeah, sure. Anybody else? What what makes popular? Come on. We all know this. Gavin? Height? Okay, like being tall, Right? Yeah, that was one of the things that I was just hated whenever I was growing up. I was short. I wasn't cool, right? Okay, another one, Gray. Sports, yeah, being athletic. Drew? Oh, they walk a certain way. Yeah, so you've got to have, you know, a, a kind of a cool strut, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so confidence, that would be one. What about being real strong? What about being attractive, being pretty or really handsome, good looking? 
What about being from, like, what if your family has a lot of money? Does that sometimes make you popular and cool in school? You know, I remember whenever I was in school as a kid, I didn't have any of those things. And I wanted so bad to be popular. I wanted to be cool. In fact, most kids did. The, the cool kids didn't act like they did, but they did. And I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be in. I wanted to be all of those things, but I didn't have those qualities. I wasn't tall. I wasn't good looking. I was kind of overweight as a kid. Um, I wasn't that great at sports. You know, and so I always just felt this, this sense of like, man, I'm just not cool. And so I've got to, I got to chase after these things. I got to become these things in order to be popular, in order to be loved and accepted by the other kids. Now, here's the reality. It's not just in school that things work that way, right, adults? This is the world. The world's just like, it's just like elementary school on a bigger scale, right? We all act the same way. We chase after the same things. But in the world, what makes people loved and popular and, and people that, uh, that are esteemed and lifted up in front of other people? Is it not just the same kind of values and qualities? You know, it's, it's being attractive. It's, it's having things. It's being successful. It's being strong. Those are the people that we look at and we like, man, they are winning in life. They're winning. Hashtag winning. Hashtag blessed, right? That's what we want. And then as we look at folks that don't have any of those things, we look at that and we say, man, they're just on the outside. They're just missing out. Here's the reality. The the world is always holding out these values, these certain values that the world says, hey, this is what matters. This is what makes you have value and worth in your life. These are things that you ought to be chasing after in your life. And for us as disciples of Jesus, I think particularly in our culture, the biggest struggle that we have is getting lured in by those values of the world, by looking at those things that the world says, hey, this is what really matters. And what so easily happens for us is we buy that and we chase that and we live for that. We're like, man, if I can just have that, if I can just be thin or if I can just have this kind of house or if I can just have this a success in my life, then I will have arrived and life will matter and I'll have it. And so we're always being tempted to share the values of the world and chase and run after those things. But here's what we see is we're learning to be apprentices of Jesus as we're walking through the book of Luke and we're learning and we're watching Jesus' teaching as he's teaching us the ways of his kingdom and how they're the, the complete opposite of the world. We are learning the way of his kingdom, to live in a kingdom that has a completely different set of values. In fact, the complete inverse of the values of this world. And we are learning to live for a kingdom that will never end. And that's what we see in our passage today. So let's look here again. We're in Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 17. Right before we get to this place, Jesus has just chosen his 12 apostles. Out from among his disciples, he sets apart 12, 12 men that he would really pour his life into and that would then, after Jesus leaves this world, after he's resurrected and ascended into heaven, these men will lead Jesus' movement, the movement of the kingdom of God throughout the world. Jesus' strategy was not 
to primarily pour his life into the crowds. We always see that contrast happening. Everywhere Jesus is, there's these crowds. But Jesus did not trust the crowds. He did not. He was not impressed by their response. Instead, he did not give his, uh, his heart and his, the heart of his teaching to the crowds, but rather invested his life in these 12 men. His strategy was to go deep with a few people rather than to try to go broad with lots and lots and lots of people. And that in and of itself is an inverting of the values of the world. So as we come to this passage, which is the beginning of a sermon, Luke will show us and lead us through this sermon that Jesus gives here. Uh, It's very similar, if you're familiar at all, with the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. There's some similarities there. But this is a different sermon. Jesus uses some different material here. He talks about some different things here. But you can, if you're familiar with that one, you'll see that there's a lot of similarity as we should expect in Jesus' teaching in this place. But this sermon, I want you to notice, is for his disciples. Yes, there's a crowd there. There's lots of people there. They're kind of listening in. But this is what he teaches his disciples. Look in verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said. Luke wants to show us this is Jesus looking at his disciples and teaching them what this kingdom is like that they've been called into. What is the way of the kingdom? How do we walk in the way of the kingdom? Now, notice the structure of this passage that we're looking at here. It's a little bit different. He kind of lays out these blesseds. There's four blesseds. And then there's four woes. This is kind of a style that you see a lot in the prophets of the Old Testament how they would say, blessed are this group of people, and to be blessed or to be blessed means that you are in a state of being under God's favor. Uh, One writer puts it as, uh, to be blessed is to bask in the favor of God. So it's a way of saying, this is the group, these are the people that God's favor is over. And then woe was a term of of warning, a warning of coming judgment, of, of coming doom, and so bad. Woe is bad. You don't want to hear woe. And so Jesus gives four blesseds and then four woes, and they mirror each other. And they're the complete opposite of each other. And I just want you to notice as we look at this, how much what Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God is the complete upside down of what we would expect according to the values of this world. So Jesus here is talking about His kingdom, the kingdom of God. You see that right off the bat in the very first one. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. This whole sermon is about what is the kingdom of God? What does it look like to live in this kingdom? What are the ways of this kingdom? Now that theme was really the heart of all of Jesus' teaching. If you look at the Gospels, you see over and over that Jesus was going around and he was preaching or announcing the gospel of the kingdom. Now, what does gospel mean, kids? Good news. Awesome. Good. Well trained. It means good news. It's an announcement. Gospel is not what you're supposed to do. It's an announcement of something that's taken place or something that is happening. And so the heart of all of Jesus' teaching was, I've got good news for you. And what is that good news, Jesus? The good news is that the kingdom of God is here. 
And so if you were someone who had read your Old Testament, you would know that was the main thing you were to be hoping for. All of the Old Testament is about the coming kingdom of God. All of the Old Testament was looking ahead to this day when God would intervene in the world as never before. When his kingdom, his heavenly kingdom would come down into the earth. Now kingdom essentially means God's reign. It's his rule. It's his will coming down, as Jesus said, on earth as it is in heaven. And as the Old Testament looks ahead, it saw a day whenever God would come through a Messiah, through a coming king, and he would usher in his kingdom. And what it would mean is worldwide justice. Justice would fill the earth. All oppression would cease. That, that God's ways would fill the earth. It would be worldwide peace. That all war and division would, would be a thing of the past. And even it would bring about the renewal of creation itself. This was a huge kind of vision in the Old Testament. But as they looked ahead to the coming of the kingdom of God, they essentially saw it as happening all at once. It was in the Old Testament, it was called the day of the Lord. There would be this day when God shows up, when he intervenes, and boom, kingdom of God will fill the earth. But as Jesus comes, he begins to modify the understanding of the Old Testament. And essentially what he was teaching is, was, the kingdom is here with me. The kingdom is here, it's at hand. And you can enter it now. And the way that you enter the kingdom of God is by believing in me, by being united to me. And right here and right now in this world, you can actually enter the kingdom of God. But yet, the kingdom of God is still future. And there's a day at the return of Christ when all of those promises, all of those longings of the Old Testament will come to full fruition. And so Jesus was teaching this dynamic that it's here. You can enter it now. You can enter the kingdom of God and God's rule can come into your life. And yet there's still a future day when God's kingdom will come in all of its fullness. When, as Jesus would teach, the Son of Man returns in glory. And so the essence of Jesus' mission that he gives to us is that we're to live now in this world as citizens and those who belong to a future kingdom. So what Jesus is teaching his disciples here is here's what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Here's who's in and here's who's out. And here's what it will mean. Here's who the kingdom of God will be good news for and here's who the kingdom of God will be bad news for. And that's what we see in these verses here. So let's look and just get a a picture of what Jesus is teaching about the kingdom here. So he starts off, blessed are you who are poor. Now, we've talked about in the book of Luke how that, that category of poor is a really broad category. It doesn't just mean people who lack material means or whatever. It certainly includes them. But it's a much larger category that includes those who have no power, who have no social standing, those who are on the margins of society, those who are despised, those who just don't matter, those who are what we would call in school whenever I was growing up, losers. That's the category here. The people that just don't seem to matter in any way. And what does Jesus say? Blessed are they because theirs is the kingdom of God. That is who the kingdom belongs to. See how he begins to just completely invert everything that we think about in this world. And he goes on. 
Blessed are you who hunger now, who in this life are hungering, who are experiencing lack, who are in need right now, for you will be satisfied. You see how that has a future fulfillment element to it? When will they be satisfied? When will these people that now in this life seem to be without, who are hungry, who are needy, when when are they going to be satisfied, Jesus? In the coming of the kingdom of God. You will be satisfied beyond anything that you can imagine. Every longing will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, who suffer, who are beat down, who are cast out, who don't matter. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh in the fullness of the kingdom of God. You see how it's all about fulfillment in the kingdom. Whenever it comes, it will reverse what you experience here and now. And then finally, verse 22, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. What's he talking about here? For people whose allegiance to Jesus are insulted and excluded and looked down on. And look at what he says here. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. See, Jesus is saying, are you you being persecuted because of your identifying with me? Well, you ought to just leap for joy. Because your reward is great in the kingdom of God. Far greater than anything that you lose in this life. See, as we're looking through these categories that he's talking about here, it's taken us back to what we talked about a few weeks, and that's this biblical concept of justice. You know, justice is this concept of, of how those who are, who are taken advantage of and those who are weak and those who are excluded get lifted up. And those who are proud and those who are in power and use their power to oppress and exploit others, they are brought down. That is the biblical concept of justice. As we saw a couple weeks ago as Jesus defined his own ministry, he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus says, that's why I came, to announce the good news of the kingdom to those who are beat down and excluded. That is my mission. And we see the same thing happening here at the beginning of this sermon. What do all these people have in common? Need. Need. They're losing now. They're excluded. And it's not that there's anything intrinsically righteous about being poor or without. But it's that usually if you're in that situation in life, if you're losing, if you're experiencing loss, if you're mourning and grieving you are far more likely to be humble and to see your need of God. And so that is often the kind of people who embrace the kingdom of God. But then Jesus moves on and talks about these woes and about these people who are on the outside, who the kingdom is bad news for. Look at what he says here. Verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, For you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who have all the stuff, who have all the comfort, who are living the high life. Woe to you, for you already gotten everything that you're going to get. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. 
win the kingdom of God in this reversal. You will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. To those of you who just are living it up in this life. Now, how often, how often, especially in our suffering and our loss, do we look at people and envy people who seem to just have it all? And we think, why why have I got this situation in life? Why can't I be like that, God? Why do I seem to be losing all the time? And Jesus is saying, don't you see in the kingdom of God, it's a complete reversal. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Woe to you who are popular. Woe to you who everyone likes, for that's just how the false prophets were were treated. What is Jesus getting here? Here's, Here's the chilling thing about this. All the things that Jesus says woe to are the things that our world is constantly saying, hey, this is what you should live for. I mean, our, the world is constantly saying, hey, this, this is what you ought to be chasing after. You ought to be chasing after your appearance. How do you look? You need to be thin. You need to have a great figure. You need to be beautiful. You need to have stuff in your life. You need to have great vacations. Right? You need to have plenty of entertainment. You need to have great health. These are all the values of the world. The world says you should pursue comfort above everything else in your life. Whatever you do, security is like should be the highest priority. You should seek to live the safest, most comfortable life you can possibly live. That's what our world is constantly telling us. It's the American dream. What is the American dream? Well, I'd like to get married one day, and I'd like to have kids, and then, you know, I'd like to have a nice house, and, and uh, I'd like to drive a nice car. That'd be really nice, and, and maybe if everything goes right, I would like to retire one day. You know, retire, maybe even retire early and be able to just live it up and enjoy life. That's the American dream, right? That's what we're all chasing after, right? Listen, there are marketers in our country that are spending billions for you to live for that. But let me tell you something. The American dream is a tragedy. To live your life for that is a tragedy. Because at the heart of it, it says, this life is all you've got. So live it up. Have it now. You only go around once, you might as well go for it. Everything about the values of this world are saying, you should live for right now. This life is what matters. And so you got to win. you got to have it now. And I think for us in the church, it's hard to even see how that contradicts the gospel of the kingdom. Because we've been so wooed into this thing. We bought the lie. Just recently, I was having a conversation with a friend, and uh, he's been out of church for a while and has really drifted in his relationship with the Lord. We're having just a great conversation, and he's telling me about it, and I I asked, I said, well, what happened? What happened in your life to go from this place where you were really a part of church and really thriving in your relationship with the Lord, and now you just find yourself so distanced? What what happened in your life? And he said, well, there, 
I had a friend. I had this person. She was in our church, and she was this amazing woman. I mean, just always living to serve other people, this deep love for Jesus, and she got cancer. And she suffered for like over a year, and we just saw her decline. And even whenever she was declining, she's serving other people. She's reaching out to me and asking how I'm doing. Even to the very end, she's given her life away to other people. And then she died. And I just couldn't understand it. I've just, I've just been bitter against God. And I, just, I guess I've just kind of walked away. Now, what a common story that is. And what's happening there? And I, I'm, I'm not looking down on him. Listen, I, I've had the same struggles in my own life. When you look at someone, and doesn't this happen so often? Someone who's just amazing, someone who is, who is just in love with God and living for his kingdom, and yet they get sick or some tragedy happens to them. And you say, why can't that happen to some of these people over here that really deserve that? Why, why, how does this happen? What, God, what are you up to? You see, what we're not understanding is the inversion of the values of the kingdom of God. Because we look at suffering and we look at loss in this life and we're like, wait a minute, God, you're, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. But what Jesus would say, no, 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 you're, you're completely not even understanding it. You see, her life was like a beacon to say, don't live for this world. And that the more that, that, that she was losing and the suffering, the more that she was learning the exceeding value of God in his kingdom. And we just can't understand that when we're chasing the things of this world. When we're chasing this life now and we see someone who loses their life now and we say they've lost everything. And Jesus would say they've lost nothing and they gained everything. Let me use an illustration here that hopefully will help. Y'all saw Mike bringing this rope in here. This, I saw this illustration. And great, I've got a tangle here. I saw this illustration. Uh, Francis Chan did this illustration. Do it better than me here. That I think is a great illustration of what we're talking about here. Okay, so imagine that this rope goes on forever. Okay, it's just infinite. It just keeps on going on forever, even though the end of it's right over there. Just forget that part. Okay? And now imagine this rope is a timeline of your life. So it has a beginning point, the point where you're born and your life starts. But what's true for each one of us is that your life is eternal. It's never going to end. It's going to go on for millions and millions and millions of years. Okay, so this is the timeline of your life. Now, this part right here, that's your life now in this world, this life now. And as you can see, it's quite a bit smaller than all of this. And the reality about this life now, and the Bible, the Bible teaches us this over and over and over, and I think we all get this as we get older in life. This part right here goes by so fast, it's ridiculous. When I was a kid, I thought this life just was going to last forever, you know, because things are just so slow, you know, when are we going to get out of school? I can't wait to get out of school. It's taking forever, all those kind of things. But the reality is, as you get older, you realize this thing is flying by. This life is a vapor. You snap your fingers and it's gone. But your existence is forever. Forever. 
And what Jesus was teaching was, listen, what you do here in this little tiny part, what you sacrifice, what you give your life away for, what you live for, matters for all of this. Whether you live for right now, and you live for your life right now, and all of those things, that too will matter for the rest of your life. But if you live for the kingdom of God, you will enjoy the fullness of the kingdom of God for all of eternity. And Jesus was saying, there is a point coming where either you're going to die and go and be with him, or he is going to come back and usher in the kingdom of God. So one way or another, really quick, we will enter the fullness of the kingdom of God. And we will enjoy the riches and the fullness of the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. But here's the problem. We are so focused on this, are we not? We're so caught up on this. You know, we're saying in our life, I, if only I can get married. That, that's the one thing that I want, and that's the one thing that I need, and if I get that, then everything's going to be okay. Or if I can just get to this, this point in my life out here at the end, if I can just get to this point and have enough money to retire and like, and like just live it up for five, ten years, just live it up, you know, play a lot of golf and, you know, just have a lot of fun and go on a lot of vacations, then that, that, that will be worth it, right? And then you look at this and you say, what? What would be different about this? And what we live for here, if we were thinking about this. You see, that's all that Jesus is saying. See, this is coming. The kingdom of God is coming in all of its fullness. And it will bring about a reversal of everything that is broken here. So my, my, my friend's friend that passed away and suffered, that's like nothing. Paul says you can't even... Compare the sufferings of this life with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's not even worth putting them side by side. It's nothing. And the things that you lose and that you suffer in this life will mean greater rewards for all of this. So what is Jesus saying? My kingdom is forever. Don't live for the things of this world. These fleeting pleasures, they're just gone like that. Don't live, don't be caught up, don't be lured in by the, the lies of this world. Of all the things that our world says really, really matters, Jesus says, no, those things don't matter. The values of my kingdom are the complete opposite. Live for justice. Live, live for relationships. Live for the restoration of all things. Live, live for love. Live for service. Give your life away for others. Live for the poor. Live for the weak. Do justice with your life. That's all of Jesus' teaching. He's teaching this over and over and over. This is the way of the kingdom. Come on, follow me. It will be so worth it. And my kingdom will be forever. So let me just address one thing. So what if I'm looking at this and I see myself in the woes? 
This is, I think, a very challenging thing for believers in America. Do you see yourself in the woes there? Because I don't know about you, but I'm well fed. And I like to laugh. And I like to be entertained. And I like to have fun. And I don't like discomfort. And I don't like suffering. And I, I like to move away from those things. I don't like sacrifice. In many ways, I could look at my life and say, I'm pretty rich because I enjoy a lot of comfort. And we do. In our society, in our culture, where we live, my gosh, we have so much. Do you see yourself in that list? So what do you do if you see yourself in that list? What does it mean? And I would just ask this question. Are you living for that? Is that what you're living for? If you find yourself in a place where you're like, you have a whole lot, you have favor, you have comfort, you have choices in your life, the, the ultimate question is, is that what you're living for? Is that what your hopes are in? Is that where your attention is? Is that what you're chasing after in your life, what you're giving your energy to, what you're, you're, holding, uh, you're, you're holding on to in your life? Or do you realize... I have this, but this doesn't matter. Do you, is your hands like this with all that you have, if you have a lot? Because that, that's what Jesus is calling us to. If you're, in that, if you're in this place, Jesus isn't saying, listen, you've got to make sure you get poor. He's not saying everybody ought to get poor. What he is saying is that if you're in a position of power and influence, if you're winning, then realize all that winning doesn't really matter much of anything in the kingdom of See your humble position and loosen your grip on it. Don't live for it. In fact, use what's been entrusted to you to live for justice in your life. Live your life for the kingdom of God. See, do you see what Jesus teaches about the kingdom and do you find that beautiful? Do you imagine the coming of the kingdom of God where people are poor and excluded and sick and marginalized and people who have no one to speak up for them? Whenever you imagine a kingdom where all of those people live in safety, where they are lifted up, where they rejoice, is that beautiful to you? Is that a vision of a glorious kingdom? If it is, because that is his kingdom, live for it. Live for it now. Live out the values of it now and use what he has entrusted to you to bring it about. There's some application questions in your, on your, in your bulletins there with the sermon notes. We're not going to go through those right now because we're going to move into communion now. And let me just ask this. Do you feel convicted right now? Do you feel disturbed by Jesus' words? Because let me tell you, I really do. As I was preparing this week, I was just wrestling. I'm like, oh my gosh. I don't even understand this, Jesus. Because it's just so foreign to me because I'm so programmed to chase after these things in my life. So do you feel disrupted? If you do, that is a very, very good sign. If you're a disciple of Jesus... You're always being disrupted. 
You're, you're always being pushed out of your comfort zone. We see this with the disciples as they're walking with Jesus. He's always just challenging them in so many ways. And so if you feel convicted and disrupted, that's a good thing. But what you need to understand is that following Jesus, even though you're uncomfortable, you are accepted. You are accepted if you're in Christ. And so we're going to confess our sins to the Lord here in a minute as we're coming to the table. And if you're feeling convicted, just bring that to Him. Just confess those sins to Him. And if you're looking at this and you're like, man, these woes ought to fall on me as we come to the table, you know what it teaches us? Yeah, the woes should fall on us, but the woes fell on Christ in our place. This is a table of grace. And the reality is, none of us belongs at this king's table. None of us should be able to come here. But yet, because of his grace and his work in our place, he says, come. Come. Because I have taken your sins away. So let's confess our sins together. Confessing this corporate confession of sin. I invite you not just to read through this together, but really in prayer, confess and to offer this prayer to the Lord. Let's pray together. Merciful God, You pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved mercy, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. To the glory of your name, and for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now take a few moments to confess your sin silently to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we do confess to you that we in and of ourselves have no business at your table. That as we look at your teachings on the kingdom, what we realize is that our hearts are far more lured away to the kingdom of this world. But we confess our sins to you and we ask with the power of your precious blood that you would cleanse us all the way down to the deepest places. And Lord Jesus, that you would clothe us in your perfect righteousness so that now we can come to your table with confidence and joy and boldness knowing that this future kingdom belongs to us. Come and meet us at your table and fill our hearts with your grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, 
Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you, take and eat from it, all of you. In like manner, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. For as often as we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. How we do communion here as we come, uh, just uh, as you wish, by row or whatever, come forward and kneel at the kneelers. Uh, hold your hands out to receive the elements, and uh, we will serve you communion. We'll pray for you. Uh, scripture is very clear that if you are not in union with Christ, that you should not take communion because it would be going through the motions of something that is not true. And Scripture actually warns that that's a very dangerous thing to do. So if you're not a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of His, or unsure of where you are, don't take communion. Rather, consider taking the real thing. Consider becoming His disciple. I would love to talk through what that looks like. I'd love to talk with you after the service about that. Uh, if you wish not to take communion for, for any reason, you can stay seated and just sing. We sing through a number of songs. It's an extended time of worship. And just consider what we've looked at in the passage or the songs. Or you can come forward and be prayed for. If you want to be prayed for and not take the elements, just put your, your hands down like this and let us know, I don't want to take communion, but I want to be prayed for. And we'd love, love to do that. But if you are looking to Christ alone, for entrance into his kingdom and the acceptance of the Father, this table is for you. And so we invite you, come and feast upon Jesus by faith and experience his grace.